Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. your number one source for all your sports info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines for all the summer sports. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season. We have you covered for all your sports wagering needs, from baseball to UFC to boxing and everything else. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options, and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. So what's the call to action? Head to the website to use your mobile device to join and be sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, appreciate you being with us and listening in and making us number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. So this is uh, episode 23 of season five and uh, we have a special episode today where we're going to be talking about uh, the growth of uh, new leagues and um, some of the opportunities that are coming from that uh, the addition of new franchises and existing leagues and also um, the consolidation of uh, some sports leagues particularly looking at the pga tour live golf and uh, the european tour but uh, sort of been an action-packed uh, week last week or so, to say the least, with Lionel Messi going to Inter-Miami, the uh, um, MLS uh, franchise owned by David Beckham. And just uh, a very big, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, last week in sports, again, with the, the announcement uh, amidst, amidst all the litigation that was going on with regard to the PGA Tour and Live Golf. Uh, so that sort of coming down, uh, again, two very, very, very big pieces of information uh, that came forward. And, of course, we had uh, the Denver Nuggets recently win. Um, obviously, the uh, uh, the NBA Finals are now are the champions of, uh, of the NBA. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we just had uh, the Las Vegas Knights, uh, Golden Knights, um, win uh, the Stanley Cup for the first time. So congratulations to, uh, to all involved. I, I think some, uh, some very positive uh, developments there uh, and really big news for both of those franchises uh, being that they were uh, both those franchises, I believe the first to win um, uh, for, for their franchise first to win the championships. So we're going to be talking about, again, these new leagues and, and some of the leadership and governance that are really essential I think to some of these changes, I think folks are really excited about some of these new leagues that are coming around. Um, I mean, as you sort of think about it, you're like, you know, you've got major league cricket, you've got the USL, you've got uh, USFL, you've got the XFL, uh, you've got lacrosse and pickleball. Uh, there's a drone league. There's just so many different developments. And I think as we look at this, you have to sort of sit back and go, well, why is this happening? 
and in the next sort of look at okay well how do we manage this right from a from a sports management perspective so again there's been sort of these new leagues that have sports leagues that have come out there's been growth of franchises particularly in major league soccer uh you know this is uh you know a league that back in 94 really had 10 franchises then they dropped down to eight and now they're up to i think 30 and there's more coming uh with san diego and um, potential for some other spots as well, other cities that are going to be getting teams. And, of course, there's sort of this idea of expansion of existing leagues and consolidation, if you will. So, again, I, I think uh, there's there's a, a heightened importance of leadership and governance in all of this. And one of the things that I really want to look at first is this point of this influx of new high school sports leagues. This is something that probably was not, thought of in the last maybe five to 10 years as being a possibility, maybe 10 years, you know, definitely wasn't something 20 years ago, that's for sure. Uh, but I think as there's been a move to professionalize more sports and add more professional sort of relationships to sports, uh, when you're talking about NIL deals, uh, name, image, and likeness deals for college athletes. Uh, and of course the development of athletes where, you know, you have sort of an elite group of athletes in high school, both in basketball and football, what we're really focusing on here with this particular topic. But there's sort of been, and of course, there's been a lot of money put into these sports and there's broadcast deals to be made. So again, I think some of these leagues are providing opportunities and particularly in basketball and football, particularly in basketball, uh, you have players that potentially could be ready sooner uh, to play in um, professional basketball. And um, I don't know why that is. Uh, it, maybe it's a part of the game. Maybe it's development. Um, I think in football, it's somewhat impossible to go from high school to the professional ranks because the foot, the NFL players are, are just much larger than even the NCAA players, and they're much faster. Most uh, professional athletes in, in the NFL will tell you that the game is just much faster and much stronger. Uh, and a high school, let alone, uh, or a college, let alone a high school player, would not be able to make that transition. Most scouts will tell you the same thing. Uh, and there's not even really been somebody who's an outlier that could make that transition. Uh, even the best players have transition time. You know, I could potentially see a quarterback doing it if they were developed enough and strong enough, uh, and they were, uh, you know, a pocket passer that was going to be protected by a strong offensive line. Uh, but again, that's a lot of ifs, right? Uh, for the most part, you see quarterbacks having to develop for a couple years, uh, very rarely uh, being able to uh, jump right into a situation. And of course, in baseball, you have the minor leagues, and it usually takes players uh, quite some time. And you do have the phenomenons that come along. You know, you have the Mike Trouts and that sort of thing, where um, you know they can play right out of right out of high school, really. Uh, with maybe just a little bit of training in the minor leagues. But again, going back to the high school piece, we have the Overtime Elite League, uh, which is a basketball league for high school athletes where they can get paid, they can broker name, image, and likeness deals. And then for the education side, they'll just basically go to their high school that they would normally go to, they'll go to a private school and get their education. But in terms of uh, they won't play for, uh, let's say, the high school basketball team. So that's one. Uh, that's been around for about a year or two now. Uh, the next one is 
a new league started by a former executive, the former president of the United States Football League of the USFL, which is now in its second iteration and I think doing pretty well, uh, as is the XFL in terms of some viewership and broadcast deals. Um, and also having some players develop from that to, you know, move in uh, as free agents or signed free agents to uh, the NFL. You also have the, this new league again called the Prep Super League. Uh, this is something brand new that is going to be a high school um, football league for basically the elite of the elite players. And it's really being started, um, you know, for the same reasons as the Overtime Elite League, which is to have players get paid brokered NIL deals and uh, to receive education separately from the sporting aspect, right? Many ways, I guess you kind of say it's like playing club in high school, except you're getting paid now. Uh, so that's obviously a major difference, but uh, that's sort of what's happening. So you're going to have this overtime elite league and you have this prep super league. Very, very interesting developments. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you have Major League Cricket, you have the USFL, you have the XFL, you have the growth of Major League Soccer, you have lacrosse leagues, and you have pickleball. Um, and of course, lastly, as I mentioned earlier, you have this iconic proposed merger of the PGA Tour, Live Golf, and the European Tour. And by the way, there was also an announcement that there's a, now a national thoroughbred league, um, uh, which is going to race horses that are older to prevent injury. I think there was some data that was sort of quoted as to what happens with younger horses and not being fully developed uh, and sort of deaths on the track as they get euthanized, right? Um, because of the the inability of a of a horse to recover once it's one of its legs is um, is broken. So uh, that's sort of where we're at with sort of recent news, right? And and I'll sort of put um, some additional information out there as to why I think this is happening. Well, at this point in sports history, as of today, sports franchises have never been worth more money. Uh, their valuations have never been higher, um, and they continue to rise. Sports broadcasting rights have never been more expensive to license, and they continue to rise. Athletes have never been afforded more freedom and liberty to explore NIL deals and receiving more money today through salary and winnings than is ever before. Uh, whether that you're comparing that to the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, the NHL, these deals continue to get larger. And now you have college athletes making money from NIL. You have universities getting involved with that to help broker some of those deals. Um, so just a lot of a lot of growth uh, in the sports space. So again, just for those reasons alone, it shouldn't be any surprise that there's new leagues and leagues are growing and franchises are popping up. Uh, and there's a lot of growth in that way. Uh, just tonight, it was announced that uh, the Las Vegas legislature, um, or sorry, the uh, Nevada legislature, I was thinking of the Las Vegas, uh, soon to be Las Vegas A's, if that all comes together. But the Nevada's legislature just voted to give $380 million in public funds uh, to uh, the athletics franchise to move there and build a new uh, 30,000 person um um, ballpark, which will be built at the Tropicana site uh, there on Las Vegas Boulevard across street from, I believe that's New York, New York and um, uh, MGM, uh, MGM Hotel. So very interesting things, but I just bring this up that again, there's just a lot of money going into sports. 
So um, it shouldn't be surprising, especially as uh, these valuations continue to rise and don't show any don't show any signs of slowing down. I think they may eventually, um, but uh, I think for now there's def definitely a lot of growth. But look, with growth there comes responsibility, right? Because you need to manage it and managing the changing landscape so that um, athletes and fans and investors, communities and leagues are protected, not only one for some sustained growth, uh, but also for best practices and outcomes, right? Because clearly, whether you're talking about the soon-to-be Las Vegas athletics or uh, this new super tour, which will probably be called the PGA Tour, but I'm not sure. Maybe they come up with a new name. Um, with all these new leagues, again, there's there's uh, some opportunities here. Uh, but there's also going to be some challenges, right? Uh, I think that one thing to look at and one of the issues is whether, let's say you have a high school athlete and the high school athlete is um, making money off NIL because the state laws and, and the athlete's school allow this, uh, high school allow this. Um, but what is unclear to me is whether the NCAA or whether universities would restrict high school athletes who made money that are now entering to college. So they entered, they made money before they stepped foot on campus to either play or be educated right in the classroom. And uh, so that to me is a little unclear, right? Uh, and maybe the universities don't care and maybe they're, Hey, if you can make money here in college, you can also make money prior to, but in the past that's been an issue. Uh, and uh, we'll sort of see how that plays out. It may not be an issue, um, but um, I think maybe what still could be an issue is if somebody got paid in a in a in a league, uh, which is another issue, right? Because if you're going to play in an overtime elite league and then you you try to go play in the NCAA, is that going to be an issue? Probably, right? So some of the things to think about and some of the things to clear. You know, this isn't legal advice, but this is definitely something that you you know folks should be taking a look at and looking into before they make commitments. Um. And again, it's clear that the NIL is, is is okay in the NCAA, but maybe not so clear for high school or junior college students who have yet to step foot on campus. Um, you know, the next thing to think about is what's the financial training being made available to some of these high school athletes that choose to play for money or are receiving NIL? I think the parents play a big role here uh, who must be involved when you're talking about, you know, minor children, uh, particularly in their teens, uh, and younger, and they should be helping to lead there. Um, but again, professional advice should probably be required um, and, and at least provided. Uh, needless to say, uh, NCAA President Charlie Baker is going to be very, very busy. Um, I think he's up for the task. I think, um, you know, as a former governor and uh, somebody who's uh, recognized as a, a, a good policymaker and somebody who could, you know, cross the aisle and bring people together, um, you know, hey, this might be something for uh, for Charlie to tackle, but we'll sort of see. Another thing to think about is whether high school athletes and their parents should be required to open what they call Coogan accounts. And these are C, spelled C-O-O-G-A-N, uh, which is required in the entertainment industry in California. By the way, it's also required in Illinois, Louisiana, New Mexico, and New York, which makes sense because those are all very big entertainment states. Now, what the Coogan account requires, and this is uh, per the Screen Actors Guild or SAG-AFTRA, is uh, since a minor cannot legally control their own money, 
California law governs their earnings and creates a fiduciary relationship between the parent and the child. So um, basically, um, California law requires that 15% of all minors' earnings be set aside in a block trust account, which is commonly referred to as a Coogan account. Now, when you're looking at, at um, high school athletes, is there an argument to be made that Coogan accounts are also required for athletes, even though we're not talking about actors? The reality of it is you're still dealing with a minor. And at the very least, if a Coogan account isn't required for an athlete that is under the age of 18 and playing in the overtime elite league or playing in a, um, you know, the, the, the prep super league or making money off NIL, uh, there's an argument to be made, I think, that the Coogan account should be should be opened. Again, not an expert uh, uh, in in that particular issue, um, and but and this isn't legal advice, but again, something to consider. And at the very least, financial literacy uh, should be provided. Uh, again, I, I just think that's an important piece. On the PGA Tour sort of live golf and European Tour proposed merger, I think it's raised you know questions about the ice idea of uh, player assimilation, uh, compensation. There was players who left to go to the to, to the uh, the live tour, made made you know hundreds of millions of dollars, but then the the tour players, the PGA tour players who stuck around didn't. And there was a lot of arguments going back and forth about the tradition of the game and this new league and where the money was coming from, all these things. But I think ultimately. Putting those issues aside, I think it's nice to have the dispute over. It's nice to see people get along. Uh, and it's nice that, um, you know, ultimately, I think the players are going to be happier to have sort of a super league, if you will, or one league. Um, I think with the changed rules and uh, more money and more opportunity and potentially more fun, I think the players are eventually going to be happy. Um, the PGA Tour commissioner, Dave Monahan. Uh, who actually is not feeling very well is in the hospital. So prayers to to him and his family. But um, this is somebody that uh, is probably going under a lot of stress, as you can imagine, uh, through all of this. But, um, you know, again, this is something that, that they were fighting over, but he has stated publicly that the players who showed loyalty to the PGA Tour would be rewarded in some way. So we shall see how that plays out. There's also the issue of... Um, potential for um, antitrust issues uh, with the government, particularly the Federal Trade Commission or FTC. Uh, so there'll be some sort of level of approval for antitrust law and compliance there. We'll get into that in a little bit. But um, I, I think one thing to think about with this sort of antitrust issue is that without much competition in the in the golf space, there's not another league out there. There's not really any competition there's not really much to compare it to usually, right? So usually in a in a sort of sports setting, when people bring up antitrust law, it's like, oh, well, you have, you know, in the past you had the American League and the National League and they were fighting over, um, you know, you had the XFL and the USFL fighting with the NFL. You know, you had early sort of hockey leagues fighting with eventually what became, um, you know, the NHL. Football was the same. It was Things were all developed in very similar ways. But with professional golf, there really isn't another tour. There's just a tour. And by the way, this is the same in uh, racing, and it's the same in tennis. 
And that seems to be the case with individual sports, right? You may have a team that is, you know, comprised of a business team where you have, you know, your, um, your caddy or your coaches or what have, you know, what have you, or your mechanics or, you know, uh, your leaders of your team when you're talking about individual sports, but there's not really teams in that sense. Although, um, when you're talking about, um, this sort of combination of the PGA tour, live golf and the European tour, uh, there is talk of, uh, some team events, uh, where you have, you know, two players playing against another two players or what have you. Uh, but that being said, it's not like basketball or football or baseball or hockey or soccer, uh, where you have sort of team sports or even lacrosse, right. Or, uh, major league cricket. But again, without much competition, there's not really much the FTC can do there, right? Now they can say, oh, okay, this discourages competition, but I, I can't recall the last time another professional golf league came up. Uh, and this is really, um, you know, um, you know, talking about these sort of, when you're looking at PGA Tour, Live Golf, and the European Tour, um, was the Live Golf, you know, sort of competition? I would argue this. I think the European tour was maybe competition, um, uh, but maybe not because, again, you're playing in two separate places. It wasn't like the Europeans were playing, um, you know, events here. And you had like the Ryder Cup and other things where you bring, um, you know, some of these players together, international and, and, and American, if you will. Now, Live Golf, you could say it was a competitor, um, but not a well-established one, right? You know, one we're talking about that's a year old and, um, had struggled with viewership, even though there was some, you know, movement of the needle there, but again, not any other additional leagues. So that may be a sticking point when you're talking about, because live golf is a, um, you know, is, or was a competitor. But again, I go back to the fact that for the most part in professional sports, you have this idea of an antitrust exemption, most notably with baseball. Um, but it's generally applied. I mean, in the sense that the NFL enjoys some of this, um, you know, the NBA enjoys some of this. Now, look, when they step over the line and they, they you know, do things with broadcast deals or with marketing that are, are very anti-competitive behavior or collusion, if you will, these are definitely issues that I think, um, you know, Congress is looking at. But I think for the most part with Congress and the FTC, they want to make sure that everybody is informed, the American people are informed, they're informed. Uh, they also want to see that a fair deal was or is brokered. Um, now, again, you're looking at history here. Congress has made similar threats before uh, when, with, uh, with Major League Baseball uh, when they consolidated the, minor, consolidated the minor leagues, when we were going through the steroid era, and when players went on strike. Uh, there was constantly this sort of Congress trying to come in to encourage folks to come together. But again, I think Congress deals from the point of responding to problems. Um, there is some prevention there, but in many ways, like with, um, you know, with, um, with police work and with firemen work, this idea is for the most part, you're responding to a problem. You can do prevention, but Congress works in, in a similar way. So, um, I don't know if it has much teeth in terms of the FTC getting involved to stop this from happening. I think for the most part, they're going to balance in their minds, okay, well, they also ended litigation and, um, and, and in many ways, Live Golf voluntarily entered into this deal. Um, does it really hurt golf and hurt the industry? No, I think it actually helps it. 
I think it helps it that uh, there's no more fighting. I think it helps that the players can all play in one tour. Of course, the questions are going to come up as to where the money is coming from. But I, you know, it's funny. Charles Barkley had this great take um, a while back where he's talking about people being selectively upset or selectively offended. And I think there's some truth to that in terms of where um, the the money is coming from in terms of this investment in the PGA Tour, uh, being that the money is coming from Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia also invests in other parts of, of the United States, other parts of the world. Um, and, and again, I, I think that um, I'm not making a judgment on that, but I, again, I think that uh, I would assume the PGA Tour has thought about this, took a look at that, and um, you know, ultimately people are going to feel like it's it's hypocrisy regardless. But I think overall, this is good for the players. I might be wrong, and I think it's good that they're um, they're going to have some sort of um, super league together, which will really present um, some good opportunities for competition amongst the players. Uh, but we'll see. You know, again, I might be wrong, but those are just my initial thoughts on that. Uh, and again, I don't think Congress is going to do much other than uh, maybe uh, issue some subpoenas and have people testify or at least meet meet with uh, with folks privately. So again, I, I think, you know, is the golf merger a good thing or a bad thing? I think time will tell. Um, there are some potential issues there, some things to solve. Um, you know, is it a good thing that high school athletes are being professionalized uh, by getting paid and looking at NIL money? Um, it, it could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I, I think it comes down to education. I think it comes down to financial literacy. You know, I think uh, on one hand, you know, sports leagues and schools through that through their athletic departments have been have made decisions uh, to make revenue from sports at the high school and college level. Um, and so, in some sense, maybe you make the argument that it's only fair that the athletes should be able to do it too. Uh, that being said, I think education is the point of high school institutions and um, college institutions. That's really what, you know, 90, I would go to venture to guess to say 99% of the folks who are going there um, is the main focus. Uh, whereas some folks maybe just, you know, use it for a position to get into the NFL or, um, you know, NBA or, or other sport. But again, to me, in my mind, I think education should be a focus if you are going to college. The high school thing's a little bit different because what they're saying is you can still go to high school, get your education, but you can go play in this other league. But again, there's going to be issues there with the NCAA is going to accept that, what violations you have to worry about or consequences you have to worry about for that. Even you know making sure that state law and local laws and uh, any sort of high school conference you know allows uh, that sort of money to be made, right? Um, and again, even in the overtime elite league or the prep super league or the G league for the NBA, um, when you're not talking about leagues that are connected to education, this is where I think the parents and the leagues need to make room for financial and general and even trade education, because here's the bottom line. And this is straight from the NCAA's website and the report that they did, uh, recently, most athletes that go to college will not be working in professional sports. Most athletes who are athletes in high school won't even make it to the NCAA. So roughly, depending on the sport, roughly 6% of high school athletes will play an NCAA sport, and 1% to 2% will play in a professional league once they leave the NCAA. 
So we're talking about such a finite number of people that will actually make it to the next level. So that education piece is so important. And by the way, the education piece is even important for folks who make it because that's where you learn how to save money, invest, and uh, do good things with the money, invest in your community, uh, and be a pillar in your community when it comes to that and using uh, wealth for good, right? So, uh, you know, again, these new leagues and expansion are great, but I think leadership and governance is just going to be um, it, it, as as much as important as the growth, if not more, uh, because I think the sort of leadership and governance is really going to help drive uh, a lot of these things. But um, again, folks, appreciate listening in. That's this week's episode. This has been episode 23 of season five, talking about the growth of um, of sports leagues across the country and um, uh, the commercialization of a lot of different things, uh, but also looking at the the importance of governance and leadership and those different uh, opportunities. So I uh, look forward to being back with you next week. This show has been brought to you by Bet Online. Hope you are doing well. I'm always humbled, uh, humbled that you listen in. And uh, thank you for making us number one sports law podcast in the world. And we'll look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much.